The following podcast contains explicit language. A few months ago, Amay Lutkin was at a dinner party at a friend's house, the kind where you all cook together and then sit around talking for hours. So we're sitting around the table together, and it's kind of towards the end of the meal, and I've had a lot of beer. I'm feeling very relaxed. And one of my friends turns to me and she asks, so what's going on with you and romance? And this friend asking about the romance, she was recently engaged. So I think, you know, for her, she's in the, like, peak of coupledom. You know, she's she's just met somebody who she loves so much, and they're about to promise their lives to each other forever. Single people know that you get this question all the time. So have you met anyone? I think that people ask that question pretty regularly. Like, if you're with a single friend, you want to hear the hot gossip. And there actually was a new thing in Amay's romantic life, something that she'd recently discovered, and she was finally ready to share. And because I was with friends and I was feeling a little buzzed, I answered her very honestly, and I said, well, I don't think I'm ever going to be with anybody ever again. I wasn't at this dinner party But when I imagine this moment, I picture the friend's mouth dropping and the whole table turning to watch. I think I might not date anyone ever again. You know, I think I might be alone forever. She said that thing out loud. The thing that single people are always worried about, but usually too afraid to say. Alone forever. And her friends weren't about to let her say it. So she kind of like rolled her eyes at me. I think that's what set it off that was so upsetting was this kind of almost derision of my experience because I think probably at some point she had thought, oh, I'm going to be alone forever. And that was the case for every person at this table. Every single one of them was in a relationship and they'd met someone who they wanted to be with forever. They couldn't really believe looking at me that I wasn't just them before that had happened. And they considered it their mission to convince her that she wasn't going to be alone forever. They'd say things like, but you're so pretty. Oh, thank you. Don't worry, it'll happen when you least expect it. Well, I have been not expecting it for a really long time, and it still hasn't happened, so how far down do I have to go? Dating apps? You could find someone. Tinder? Are you on Tinder? I think I've been on Tinder since it started, and so far I've gone on two dates, one of which ended with making out in the street, and that was the end. You didn't give him a chance. Well, actually, I did. I went back to his house, and he uh, opened up his computer and just showed me a bunch of pictures of his ex-girlfriend sleeping. Winner. They kept telling her, don't give up on dating. It also then started to go around the table. Everybody was saying, oh, you'll meet somebody, you'll meet somebody. There's even a guy there who I didn't really know particularly well. I think we met once or twice who has a girlfriend. And he was just like, well, have you tried, like, OkCupid? Like, as though I, it had never occurred to me to it's, sign it's up a we- on a it's dating a, It's a website, but also an <laughs> app, and you create a profile. <laughs> I know. It was like someone was like, have you looked up a boyfriend on Google.com? <laughs> I was like, no, I haven't looked at Yes, I've been on OkCube, and I've tried to date people for a long time. So the two of us are laughing about this. But at the time, her conversation with these friends was more like a fight. She's trying to tell them that she's made a choice to stop all the wishing, all the waiting. She doesn't want to think about her life anymore as this perpetual purgatory. 
And I couldn't convince them. And the more I tried, the more embarrassed I felt because no one wants to sit there and insist that they're going to be alone forever. It's embarrassing, but it also felt very true. So it meant that I couldn't talk to my friends about what was really happening for me as a person. This is Why Why. I'm Andrea Salenzi. It's been four months since my ex and I broke up. Three months since I moved out. One month since I saw him on the street walking home with a girl in a pink hat. And now I'm living my life with this giant 100-pound heart in my chest, just weighing me down all the time. And I'm grateful that I love someone so much that I don't know a way out of it anymore. But what will my life look like when the pain dulls? When the new memories crowd out the old ones and when the old ones lose their weight? Today's guest, Amay Lutkin, she wrote about this experience in Jezebel. She's 33 years old. She lives here in New York. She dates men and women. I dated someone seriously about six years ago. We broke up, and I think for the next two or three years, I would occasionally hook up with people or have a sexual relationship. And then at year three, it kind of just stopped. So now it's been three years since I've even been kissed, I think. After six years single and three years without sex, she wrote that she has no simple way to describe that slow, dull ache of separation from physical and emotional intimacy. To go on with her life, she had to make a choice. If she meets someone, she meets someone. But for now, she's done waiting. Why is it important to come out as possibly alone forever? Why is it important for people to know that about you? Well, I think that it's happening for more and more people. And if there's no way to talk about your experience, it kind of freezes you in place. You can't say this is what's happening for me. You always have to present it as a temporary state. And it's not good for people to live in that temporary state. Does it mean it's also good for me to give up if that's the best way you can think of it? No, but I don't see it that way. I see it more like acknowledging the reality of my situation, which is that I've been alone for six years, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. And I still want to live my life as well as I can right now. Why do you think being partnered is so caught up with adulthood? Well, I think that we have a lot of established markers in our lifetimes, right? We have maybe going to college, maybe the first time you live alone, first love, first time you buy a home if you're able to do that. And a lot of those markers are contained within relationships. So getting married, deciding to have a kid, family vacations, big events, anniversaries. And without those things, I think people get a little lost. They look at your life and they don't understand the signposts in it that are defining you and that are making you into a person that they can relate to. And I know we left that dinner party conversation back at the top of the episode, but some of you might still be wondering some of the same questions her friends were asking that night. So let me just knock out a few of them including this one. You're not trying hard enough. I think to a degree that can be true. I think that uh, the work of finding someone is work. You know, when it's the right person, I've seen this and I've also experienced it because I've been in love before. When it's somebody you connect with and it feels a lot easier, but there's still work involved. When you're not feeling that connection, then going out regularly, trying to meet new people, trying to go on that first date or meet someone via a a hookup app or something, it's, it's a lot of work. You really have to commit yourself and your time and your energy because not only do you have to maybe go through many bad dates, you have to continue to work up the hope within yourself that the next one will be good. 
What do you tell people who go, oh, you're so smart, you're so pretty, you're so funny? Of course <laughs> you'll meet you. him. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, then end of question. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but, no. then, but then they assume that that means, like, if you're smart, pretty, and funny, you're, th- then there's been a boyfriend designated to you, and he will arrive shortly. Uh, well, I think that... I don't think there's any guarantee. I mean, what is beauty guarantee? It might you might have a wider pool of applicants, but that doesn't mean one of them is going to be the person who, you know, set your heart on fire or is even someone you want to spend time with. And I also think that I am attractive in a lot of ways and a worthwhile partner. Does that mean that I will find someone who I feel the same way about? I don't know. Maybe that means I'm a snob, or maybe it just means that I'm not lucky enough to cross their path, you know, whoever they are. What do you tell the people who say that you need to get a hobby? You know, go out there and do new things, meet I mean, people. I think that's good advice for all people. I think if you're in a relationship, it's very easily get easy to get isolated in that relationship. A lot of people end up later in life, like, not having enough friends or interests to motivate them. Personally, I've got my bases covered. Like, I do comedy, I write, I spend a lot of time with friends and out in the city. I'm interested in nature, whatever. I have plenty of hobbies. I think if I got any more, I'd be exhausting myself. Do you think dating men and women has made dating especially challenging for you? Well, I think it's complicated because I think the nuances of, you know, being in a same-sex relationship are very different. And I think for a long time, you know, I didn't admit that I wanted to date women as well because... I pass so easily as like a heterosexual woman. Like I ne- would could never tell anybody and no one would ever know, you know, like no one makes assumptions about me. Uh, I look very heteronormative. I look very femme. And that came to disturb me that there's this part of myself that I couldn't talk openly about without inviting a lot more questions. Because if you say that you're bisexual, you get a lot of like interested parties who are fetishizing that about you, who are... <laughs> you know, curious about it. I don't I'm not like offended by friends who are curious about what that means. But if I like label myself as bisexual and okay Cupid, for instance, I get so many messages from couples, mostly from the male half of the couple asking me if I just want to like hook up with them. I don't have anything against threesomes as a practice, like morally or otherwise, but to get like your inbox full of those messages starts to feel really demoralizing after a while. So you have to write, like, in your profile, do not contact me about this, <laughs> which I had to do. <laughs> and oh. I bet you still get it. Yeah, I do. Uh, so there's a lot of complications that come with it rather than relief, I think. And if a lot of people can't tell or unless I explicitly talk about my sexuality, I have that experience too. Or, like, maybe I'm attracted to a woman and I really don't know what's going on with her, whereas I think heterosexual men are present their sexuality very aggressively in your face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in their interest, it very is very vocalized. So that also can lead to complications or just confusion. When a maze piece came out in Jezebel, it was around Christmas. And there was a huge range of responses. Some people got it, some didn't. And one friend of hers in particular thought that the whole piece was just a cry for help. That obviously you have to be deeply depressed to have an idea like this. And uh, she, I guess, like kind of started lecturing me about it where she was saying, you know, you can do things to help yourself, blah, blah, blah. And I guess I responded in a dark way. I said, well, I don't know that everyone's meant to be happy. And what, what I mean by that is not that I can't be happy or I'm incapable of happiness, but that I don't think every problem needs to be solved or that everyone has to reach this, you know, perfect 
level that's the same. I think we're all having a different experience. Yeah, I've been going through a breakup and I feel such censorship from the people I'm closest to that any kind of negative thought that I could put out or any sad thought is instantly responded to by if you say that, then that's then that'll be, you know, if you feel that way, then you're just digging yourself a hole that you're going to have to stay in. I think that that's because in our culture right now, there's this this infiltration of positive thinking, you know, this like wishful thinking that if you keep persisting and saying your reality is a certain thing, it will become that. I don't completely disagree that we have the option to look at things in many different ways and it might be healthier to try and look at them in a, in a positive way or an upbeat way if you can. But it also is like very victim blaming. It's like saying if something negative is happening to you, it's because you're manifesting it with the power of your mind. I mean, am I a witch? No. <laughs> am I able to make things happen with the power of my thoughts? I don't think so. I don't think anyone really is capable of doing that. I mean, mostly things happen through hard work or luck or being in the right place at the right time. I don't I don't see myself as like creating my loneliness just because I'm met, I'm able to express it out loud, you know. Has anyone told you that now that you said you're going to be alone t- forever that it's impossible for that to happen? Well, I thought it when I was writing it because you hear that so much. If you're single for a long time, a lot of people will say to you It'll happen when you least expect it. It'll happen when you least expect it. My mom used to try and get me to go to parties. She's like, you don't think you're going to meet anyone tonight, so you better go to this party. <laughs> like, It's just such a common thing to hear that I thought about it the whole time I was writing the piece. I was like, well, if there is such a thing as a magic spell to make somebody come to you, then this essay is it. But I don't really believe that. <laughs> so no, I don't think that's going to happen. I hope in my future that I meet someone, but I can't wait anymore. You know, I can't pretend that it's happening when it's on pause or in the future in a distance I can't see. So now that you're going to be alone forever, what do you think your future looks like? In my dream future, I'm, you know, successful in my chosen career as a writer. My grand plan is to get to an age where I want to be able to adopt or foster children, but I'd like to be financially stable to do that and have a beautiful home and get to travel but i think that the what the future is especially with trump as our incoming as the president i'm like i don't know that there's going to be a new york do you know what i mean like that's how i'm feeling i don't know that there's going to be a future i feel like my optimism tolerance has just disappeared so that's maybe that's part of why your piece resonated is that i'm just to try to take the reality and, and cover it up with optimism is really confusing right now in this world. That's interesting. Maybe we should coin the term post-optimism right now, <laughs> living in a post-optimistic society. And what does that mean? Does that mean giving up or does it mean approaching reality? Trump uh, isn't going to be that bad and you are totally going to meet someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I really need to hear right now. <laughs> I think if I ever believe that, it means they took me to like the reprogramming facility. (laughs) Before we wrap up with the May, I asked her for one piece of advice. Let's say you're at that meal with a friend or a family member and they ask you what's going on with you romantically. No matter how happy you are with everything else going on in your life, that one question can make you feel bad. Her advice? Just make something up. I'm dating a stuffed scarecrow and he's really jealous <laughs> just say something crazy and they'll be like what <laughs> and then you move on to something else you don't need to defend who you are at all especially with something so inane <laughs> what does uncle joe know 
tell him to try dating somebody you've been out with in the last six months. <laughs> we have a link to a May Luckin's piece in Jezebel in the show notes to this episode. Of course, I worry all the time about being alone forever. And I wonder, how long would I need to be single before I'd be in the same spot as our guest? The other day, I was visiting my grandma, Phyllis, and she pointed at this picture of me and my ex on her wall. She was like, what do I do with this? It breaks my heart. And then she always adds this new thing. She's like, don't worry. I won't die until you've met someone. No pressure. So for me, there isn't a world where I could ever tell her that I've stopped trying. And you know what? She hasn't either. She's 86 years old. She's had two great loves in her life. She's been widowed for a decade. And sometimes when I'm recording her, she'll slip in something like this. I'm looking for a hot 80-year-old guy with working parts. Yeah, that's my grandma. At 86 years old, she's still looking for someone. And I hope I have that fight in me. Because being in love is really cool. And I hope it happens for me again. But I have never once thought that it's a sure thing. It's not. That's it for today's show. YY is produced by me, Andreas Lindsay. Our producer is Lindsay Cradwell, and our editor is Hilary Frank. Our artwork changes every week thanks to Teddy Blanks at Chips.NYC. Our theme music is by Andy Miklas, Casey Holford, and Lee Rosifer. We also used a Creative Commons track today by Ryan Little, available now at the Free Music Archive. Special thanks to Mia Lobel, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Did you know? We have a newsletter, and it comes out every week. It's a great way to learn what's up with our show, and I have two extra special reasons for you to sign up for it. The first, we are doing a Valentine's Day meetup here in Brooklyn. It's in the back room of a bar. All the single people will get a name tag. We're going to put info about that in our newsletter. Also, we are about to reveal our first piece of YOY swag. It's a coaster with original artwork by Liana Fink, and we're only giving them away in the newsletter. We'll give away 10 a week this week, future weeks, to random subscribers. So go sign up on our website. That's yoy.date. Next time on YOY, famous comedy podcasters threaten our show, but they can't remember the name of it. We're coming for you, that dating show I listened to and liked but forgot the name of. (laughs) You know the one. I think these guys have their own podcast, Jordan, Jesse, something. I could Google it, but nah.